footsteps of Jesus. Thank you, Miss Robin. Take your Bible, if you would, this evening and turn to Genesis chapter 9. Now, tonight, after the service is over, invitation is over for those who would like to, especially members of the church. We're going to have a special prayer service for Brother Pat. Many of you know folks in the, uh, especially on Wednesday night, who come. He's going to have a, a heart surgery uh, this coming Friday at 7, 7 a.m. They'll start with a heart catheterization, and then just defining, depending on what they find, they may go from there. We want to pray for them. Anytime you do a type of heart, it's always a serious issue. Any surgery is an issue, but especially when you deal with the heart. So we want to have a special time of prayer for him. We'll ask the men of the church to come. We'll have a couple men pray for him specifically. So anybody who wants to come, if you cannot, if you cannot stay, you're welcome to go. After the end of the invitation, after the end of the prayer, but those who would like to stay, I encourage you to stay, and we'll have a time of special prayer for him. And I hope you'll be praying for him, not just tonight, but the rest of the week, especially Friday morning. Genesis chapter 9, this, this evening, Genesis chapter 9, and we will start in verse 20. Genesis chapter, 20, uh, chapter 9 and verse 20. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their, faith, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah woke from, from his wine, and knew that his younger son had done unto him. He said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren, and he, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 50 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Father, we thank you again for this time. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to remember, Lord, in life, the blessings that we have, but also help us to beware of the seriousness of sin. Sin robs us of joy. Sin causes us guilt. Sin causes us grief. Sin hurts our relationship with, with you. Sin hurts our relationship with others. And God, I pray you'd help us through this passage to realize again, once again, the seriousness of sin. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, last week we looked at four ways in which Noah <clears throat> was a man of God and showed integrity, and certainly did. We talked about in the antedebellum time, uh, which is the time before the flood, there was much wickedness, so much wickedness that every imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. I don't believe we're quite there. Are we, are we getting there? I think we're, we're, we're getting closer and closer there. I don't know if we're quite there. But remember, as we, we looked at the passage that, it was so bad that God repented of the fact that he created man. To the fact that he was willing to destroy everyone that lived on the earth. And we believe at that point there were at least a billion people. People lived 969 years, Methuselah. They had a perfect environment. Uh, DNA was, of course, a lot more pure then than it was today. And so in that environment, uh, people could have many, ch women could have many children. Men did not have children then, and men can have children now. Amen. No matter what anybody else says. I 
that's crazy. And that's a different mess, different message. We'll preach on that some other time. But uh, women had a whole lot of whole had to pass on children because they could, because they could. And uh, but in that environment, because of that situation, and also because we read that there was uh, a mixing of those uh, believed that corrupt. I believe, as I mentioned last week, I believe there was demonic people that inhabited habited men and be able to started cohabitating uh, with women and there became a, a wicked generation of people that were wreaking havoc upon the earth because of that those two reasons there was a, a, a definite uh, destruction of the world where God decided he was going to send a flood it was interesting afterwards afterwards some of you commented even on social media there was a rainbow there was a rainbow out there and you could see that and, and it was interesting because even after destruction, God made a promise that the world would not be destroyed again by, the, by water, and it will not. Amen. It may, it may rain, and we need to rain. Amen. I thank God for the rain, but sometimes it rains so much, sometimes you wonder, should you go down to Home Depot and get some gopher wood? But uh, we don't need to worry about that. But after, after that time, of that, that over that year of, of time where Noah was in the ark and only those Eight people were saved alive. I think it was op- opportunity, as we mentioned last week, for many more people to be saved. Only half the ark was filled. Many more could have had could have decided. He warned them. He was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, but they decided. They made a conscious decision, just like people today make a conscious decision to reject to reject God. As I mentioned several times, God has not sent and has not will not send anybody to hell. Our sin sends us to hell. Our choice to reject God. In those days, the opportunity, the, the boat was open, the door to salvation was open for men to be saved. The door closed and they perished. There's coming a time in our, in, in, when, in our time, and it's coming soon, where that opportunity to be saved is going to be over. It's going to be over and there'll be, there'll be no more opportunities to be saved. The door of the ark will close and it'll be over. But after that, there came a time, as we just read, where Noah, after this, uh, after this building of the, the ark and a year being on that boat with his family and the animals, and I can imagine how that would be. If you don't get it, if you have a chance this summer or some other time to go up and see the ark uh, up there, I believe it's right at the border of Ohio and Kentucky, I encourage you to do so. My family and I went and saw it several years ago. It's a great representation of the ark. It's a wonderful thing, Ken Ham. I did that, and I think it's a beautiful thing. And if you haven't had the opportunity to see that, I encourage you to do so. But there was a time where here Noah uh, does something very foolish. Interesting, though, there's a there's a there's a parallel between Noah and Adam. The first man to ever live was Adam, sin by partaking of the little fruit of the vine. Noah, the first man after the flood, would also sin by drinking the fruit of the vine. Both men would fall, and as a result, both would recognize his nakedness. And the other and other would be and others uh, would realize the consequences of that. Both would receive a covering from someone else as a result of their sin. Both would receive a curse, and yet in that curse would be a promise of a blessing. Now here's the sins of Noah twofold. First, it says that it says that Noah became drunk. It says in verse twenty, and, Noah, and, he, and he and he drank of the of the wine and was drunken. He was covered uncovered in his tent. You know, I could preach a whole message on on drunkenness and and wine and all that. I don't want I don't want to go into it fully, but I do want to mention uh, there's 637 
references to wine, drink, and drinking in the King James Version of the Bible. Most English readers read wine and assume the word refers to a drink containing alcohol. This assumption is not always true. As I studied, there are 13 different Hebrew and Greek words which are translated to wine with a wide-ranging meaning, everything from grape juice to concentrated grape syrup to alcoholic wine. Natural fermentation occurs when the juice of the grape comes into the contact of the yeast released when a grape skin is broken. Under normal circumstances, natural fermented wine contains no more than about 7% of alcohol. Modern table wines contain as much as 14% of alcohol. Modern fortified wines, such as port or sherry, have alcohol added, resulting in alcoholic content of 18 to 24%. Distilled liquor has a content like 40%, talking about vodka or gin of such. But much of the wine of the Bible was diluted. Even secular authorities believe in Bible times, the wine in those days would be diluted uh, at least two parts, two, two parts water, one part juice, sometimes with as much as 20 parts water, reducing the alcoholic content to about 2.5%. The alcohol in wine was actually being used most of the time to kill, kill harmful bacteria in drinking water and would require at least a gallon of the mixture to intoxicate the average person. We're not talking about, we're not talking about uh, in, in when it comes to drunkenness, because drunkenness in the, in the Bible is always condemned. Is always condemned. And people sometimes say to me, now, preacher, you know, in NyQuil, there's alcohol. We're not talking about NyQuil, folks. <laughs> We're not talking about God condemning medicinal use of, of it because you have, you have a sickness. Everybody in here has probably taken NyQuil or something like that when they've had a fever. We're talking about drunkenness. We're talking about a Christian who chooses to go down to, to a restaurant and gets just goggle-eyed drunk and then says, and says he's a believer in Jesus Christ, starts to slur his words and say things he shouldn't say, that's drunkenness. That's wrong. That's, that's forbidden in the Bible. And actually, remember, in our, in our covenant as a church, if you look at the back of your hymnal, we have a church covenant. I don't know if you recognize that. Even in our church covenant, it says that, that we will abstain from the use of intoxicating drink as a beverage. When you decide to be a member of North Gainesville Baptist Church, you decided you're not going to use drink as an intoxicating beverage. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Because what, what's wine do? How many women have been beaten because of alcohol? How many people have died on those roads because of alcohol? Hundreds, eight thousands, half of the motorcycle accidents that happen. I learned this at Harley-Davidson. Even they know. In my, in my driving test at Harley-Davidson, they said, they said that half of all accidents on motorcycles are, are alcohol-related. Even they said, even they said, Harley-Davidson, who's not the most upright standard folks in the world, I can tell you that. They said one beer can alter your, your actions and attitude. One beer. I tell you, it's crazy driving a motorcycle, to be, to be drunk on a, riding a motorcycle. That's real crazy. No, it ain't crazy. It's just plain stupid. It's just plain stupid. And dear friend, I'm going to tell you, wine is a mocker, strong as drink is a raisin. And whoso is deceived thereby is not wise. Stay away from it. Oh, preacher, just a little bit. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. Like it's a snake, Brother Eric. If, if, if a snake came rolling in this way, Brother Eric would be so fast down that road, he'd be, in a high, he'd be at 75 in five seconds. 
Colleen couldn't catch him. Just like a snake to Brother Eric, stay away from the wine. Run away from it, stay away from it. You say, well, I'm just going to cook with it. Well, dear friend, how much are you going to cook with it? Don't let it become the whole meal. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Secondly, not only became drunk, because of his drunkenness, he became naked. Again, not only is drunkenness is obviously condemned in the Bible, nakedness is condemned. To a degree a society is in naked is to the degree they're against God. What's going on in our society? Is, are people in churches and even society become more and more clothed? Have they become more and more conservative? Or do they show more, dress more lewd? Hey, brother, I, again, that's a whole nother message I could preach on, but I won't. But nakedness, nakedness is always condemned. He, and his lewdness, his lewdness, his nakedness was wrong. It was wicked. The Bible says that Ham saw his father. The meaning of this word saw is interesting. It means to be to gaze on. He observed. He watched. And it's one thing to it's one thing to see sin. You know, almost in this society, you almost cannot help to see sin. You t- you turn on the TV for five seconds, you might be seeing sin. You t- you walk down the aisles of a Walmart or Publix or a Target, you probably see sin. Um, you turn on your phone, you go on social media very long, you might see sin. You type some some word wrong on the internet, you will see sin. I mean, sins sin is almost ever before us. It's not the first glance at it; it's what you do after that first glance. You turn to it and gaze at it. Or do you, or you turn away from it? That's the choice. That's the choice. Interesting, this word told, the Hebrew word menzer leads to, he told his brothers. It means literally with delight. Meaning that he saw his, he saw his, his dad dishonor himself in his drunken stupor and his nakedness. And he saw it and went and told his brothers with almost glee and, glad, and gladness. Dear friend, sin should always bring a reproach. Sin should always bring a sad thing. When you see someone in sin, it should not, ma- it should not make you glad. It should make you sad. We should never be happy when a person's, quote, unquote, caught in sin. We should be sad. Because sin's a horrible thing. Why? Because we're all sinners. There's not a person in this room that's probably not sinned today or maybe in the last two hours. Or man, I mean, or, well, you've been here 30 minutes, so hopefully you've been good for 30 minutes. <laughs> but you better have had a row before you got here with your wife or, or with your husband. Not that any of you would ever do anything like that. None of, none of you spiritual folks would never do anything like that. But dear friend, we all struggle with sin. A mature Christian real, recognizes that all of us wrestle with sin. You understand that? If you're a mature Christian, you fight daily with sin. There is no place in this life, no matter who tells you, of sinless perfection. You never get to the place where you, don't, you, you do not struggle with sin. If you get there, would you come tell me and tell me what it's all about? Would you come whisper the secret in my ear? Because I've never heard of it, and I've been around preachers for a little while. I, there's no such thing. We all struggle with it. We all struggle with it. So he, he did it in, the deli- in delight. His brothers, Shem and Japheth, 
they walked backward. They walked backward and covered because they, they, they knew their, because of what their brother had said, they knew their father was in sin and, and shame, and they honored him by walking backwards and covering him up. And unfortunately, Ham did not. Ham did not. Noah awoke from his wine, knew that his younger son had done to him. And what did he say? Cursed be Cain, and a servant of servants shall be, be unto his brethren. Who is cursed? Ham and all his descendants? No, Canaan. Canaan is cursed. One branch of the descendants of Ham, not all the descendants of Ham. One branch is cursed, and that is Canaan. And Canaan will be the forefather, far, forefather I'll get it right, the forefather of who we also often heard here about in the, in the Old Testament, the Canaanites. Remember the Canaanites? The, the, the Joshua led the people over the, the people of Canaan, the Canaan land. Remember the Hittites and Perizzites and Amorites and Jebusites and all the other Ites? They all come from the, the Canaanites. These are these people who were cursed. And ultimately they ceased to exist as a nation. The curse had been fulfilled. Shem will be the father of Semites. You can see in the name Shem, the word Sem, this is the Semite nations which, which Israel would come. This is the promise of the coming Messiah. Japheth is the father of the Indo-European nations. Majority of Americans we have come from. Ham would become the father of the African, Egyptian, Arabian nations, which is, e which is easily found in documented accounts, not only in biblical records. But what is the application? What is the application of this, of this, of this sin? Uh, sometimes the Bible is so comprehensive that it's embarrassing, you know. I'm so glad that we know the Bible is, from the, wor is the word of God. Because if this was written by men, you know, the, the men that would write them would say, well, this is just so embarrassing, I'm not going to put it in there. But the Bible just tells the truth. The Bible, <laughs> it, it, it tells it like it is for people where they are. It is, you know, he could, Moses, and we believe he wrote the first, on the inspiration, of course, the Holy Spirit wrote the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, uh, the Pentateuch. He could have said, well, you know what, Noah was so, I mean, Noah was so good, he was so righteous, he did so, he did so right, let's just leave this little part out. No, there's a reason why this is in here, it's for a lesson for all of us. What are seven lessons from the sins of Noah? First lesson, then, is a believer is never immune to sin. We never get immune to sin. Noah was 600 years old. That's a, few, that's a little, that's, that's pretty old. You know anybody six years, 600 years old? I don't know anybody 100 years old. But 600 years old when the flood came. And he lived a, a life of righteousness for 600 years. In those later years, he marred his perfect record. Is this unique in the Bible? To get up in age and sin? No, Moses sinned. Remember? <laughs> he was with those rebellious Israelites for 40 years and came towards the end of it. Then instead of speaking to the rock, he smoked the rock. Remember that? David, in his 50s, he was a man of, of war, a man of battle, sent his soldiers, sent his generals out to battle. He decided instead of going like he did in the past to stay behind. And that's when he looked out from the top of his top of his castle and saw Bathsheba and committed a sin with her, then killed Uriah the Hittite, had to lie his way out of it, and ultimately his kingdom was divided because of it. Adam, even Adam, after he had named all the animals, God had blessed him with a wife. Even after that, he sinned. It seems like there's a concurring situation with 
in, in our later years, maybe because of pride, maybe because of some great accomplishment, Adam, Noah, Moses, that we're tempted to sin. We're tempted. And we're never immune to it. Never get to the place where you think that you cannot fall. You cannot fail. None of us are immune to it. Secondly, it leads me to the second, that the past successes do not guarantee future safety from sin. And just because you've done right for five years or ten years or twenty years or twenty-five years doesn't mean you won't go back to that sin that you got saved from. Oh, man, some of you have been saved from alcohol. Some of you have been saved from all type of wickedness in your past. Well, because you've done those things in the past, you have a propensity to want to do those things in the future. you got to be careful. If you strength, if you, since we've talked about drunkenness, if God has saved you from drunkenness, dear friend, I wouldn't sit very long with anybody you know at the bar. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage you to do any evangelism at the bar. Because instead of you winning them to Jesus, they may win you to drunkenness. Trust me, it happens all the time. I can't tell you how many people who've sat across my desk in a moment of weakness, thinking they were going to be okay, thinking they've been delivered from that sin. In a moment of weakness, in a moment of bad indecision, do the same, very same thing they were saved out of it. Past success does not guarantee future success from sin. No, temptation, temptation persists in the life of a believer to the day he dies. Oh, that's why we talk about the rapture of the church with such glee. That's why we long for heaven and we sing these heaven songs. Because when we get to heaven, there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more temptation. There'll be no more magnetism or pull. You ever felt the magnetism, the pull towards sin? Amen? You ever struggle with it? Man, oh, oh I want to buy that. I shouldn't buy that. I want to go there. Oh, Krispy Kreme is calling me. You ever get pulled towards sin? Oh, man. That's the magnetism of sin. We all feel it. We all struggle with it. That's why Paul said, I die daily. You have to die to your desires. You have to die to your wants. You have to die to that flesh, that old nature that wants to destroy you. Number three, small temptations are often the most dangerous. We all these big ones. I'm not talking about huge things. It's those, it's the little foxes that small uh, spoil the vine. It's a little fly in the pocket carrot. It's that little, it's that little thing that leads often to a greater things. Just a little, see, I, just a little bit of unforgiveness. Why do I preach so much about having a clear conscience and being right with one another? Because I know what bitterness does. The root of bitterness destroys a life. It leads to so many other sins. I know, I know clear cases where Christians got bitter at one another, at a woman getting bitter at her husband, or a husband getting bitter at their wife, and next thing you know, there was full-blown adultery. And it all came because of bitterness. Bitterness, or as the Bible says to men, men don't be bitter at your wives. Can you get bitter? Yeah, you can. That's why you got to live in forgiveness and have a clear conscience, not just on Sunday, but every day. You must seek it. Small, tem- small temptations are often the most dangerous. 
Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. Just, hey, just don't think, well, preacher, I haven't done any of the big ones. The big ones. Oh, dear friend, the little ones count too. Be careful about little sins. Oh, just nobody will see, nobody will know. No, God sees. God knows. <laughs> it doesn't matter if the preacher sees it or the deacon sees it or your mama knows it or your daddy knows it. God knows. God knows. Oh, this is between Pam and, 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 uh, and, 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 and Noah. This was between them two. He didn't have to go tell it. He didn't have to go to his brothers and say, <laughs> hey, hey, guys, guess what I just saw? You know, our dad, a preacher of righteousness for 120 years, he's over there in his house drunk. Laying out there naked. No, you know what he should have done? He should have went back to his brothers. Brothers, I saw something. I shouldn't have saw it. It was wicked and it was, and it was wrong. We need to go. Dad, Dad's done something he shouldn't have done. It was bad. We need to go. We need to go take care of Dad. We need to honor him. He did, he did the wrong thing. You see, it was a little thing. It was big to God. It was big to God. So big that God used Noah to curse his son. Number four, number four, temptation is always changing faces. Well, sometimes we say, well, man, I got victory over that. Hey, guess, guess what? Something else coming. <laughs> you say, preacher, man, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm sober. I've been sober. I haven't tasted a drop in, in 25 years. Well, praise God. I guess I guarantee you the devil's not going to quit because you're, you're sober now. <laughs> See, if, you, if you're not struggling with drunkenness, he's going to say, well, how about your finances? <laughs> you say, well, I'm good with my finances. Well, what you watch, what you looking at TV at night about 3 o'clock in the morning? Oh, it got, it got quiet. And, and uh, let me open your phone. Let me see. What, let me look at your Amazon account. You got me there. <laughs> you got me on the Amazon. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm toast. Uh, just go ahead and Miss Robin come and play the piano. We'll just have an invitation right now just as I am, and I'll, I'll go forward. If you're not struggling with one thing, you'll probably be struggling with another. The devil does not sleep, does not slumber. He's going to tempt you to fail as long as you're breathing air. You say, well, I got victory here. Praise God for it. I'm glad, but dear friend, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary as a roaring lion seeketh whom he may devour. He's going to sniff around your house like a, like a lion going around the cage. Is this weak? Oh, that's pretty good right there. Let me go around this side. How about this side? Well, how about this side? He's looking for a weak link in your life. He's looking for it. If you're good here, he'll try there. If you're good there, he'll try here. That's why you have to be serious and sober about your spiritual life. If you play games with God, the devil got you. You play games with God. You play, you play peek-a-boo with God. You play hide-and-go-seek with God. You play children's games with God. The devil's got you, and you don't even know it. The devil's got you, and you don't even know it. Sam, Samson, Samson, I'll get up just like times before, and I'll slay the Philistines. And he didn't know that the spirit had left him. He didn't even know. He got to place and he compromised so much in his, in, his, in his life with God that he didn't know the spirit of God had left him. Is that you, Christian? 
You say, I can't pray. God don't answer my prayer. Do you know why? If you're honest with God, maybe, <laughs> maybe you, if you get right, maybe God will answer your prayers. You can't see, you can't live a life of deception and ask God and ask God for prayers and expect him to answer it. Oh God, I, I'm, uh, I've sinned here, I've sinned here, I've sinned here, and I've sinned here, but Lord, I need help. And then you want, me to, you want him to help you? No, dear friend, it doesn't work that way. It's like a child disobeying their parent who's told them every day, get up, clean your room, get up, clean your room, get up, clean your room. They don't do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And Saturday said, hey, can I borrow some money in the car to go out with my friends? Now, parent, listen to me. If you're wise, you'll say no. If you're foolish, you'll say yes. You don't reward bad behavior. That's always a bad decision. Now, mamas, because you're most susceptible, you'll want to say, well, he, prom- he won't do it. Hey, Johnny, he need- you know, he just needs to spend time with his friends. No! He disobeyed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's no. So next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, he'll make his bed. He'll get it when he's supposed to. And he wants to go to some of his friends the next day. He'll do it. Don't reward disobedience. Reward obedience. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings problems always. Man, that's good preaching if even I'm doing it myself. Amen. Somebody say amen. Help me here. Help me. Fifthly, sin never affects the sinner alone. We don't want to sin in a vacuum. Sin affects everybody. Sin affects everybody. (coughs) Say, you know, folks down there, Sonny's, I go down there about twice a week. They know I'm a pastor of North Gainesville Baptist Church. You just, you know, you just go down there, and now they, unfortunately, they they sell liquor down there. You go down there and get goggle-eyed drunk, and you say, hey, preacher, I I think I go to North Gainesville Baptist Church. I go in there Tuesday. Hey, guess what? <laughs> hey, guess what? Preacher, we saw one of your members come down. Oh, yeah, how was it? <laughs> uh, not so good. <laughs> you don't think people in society look at folks like us? They look at us, man. They're trying to, they're trying to, they're trying to see if we're real or not. But you go down there and say, well, I'll just have one little cocktail. I'll just have one little, just a little bit. Well, next thing you know, you're having a little bit of this, a little bit of pork, a little bit of this, a little, little more pork, a little bit of this, a little bit more pork. Next thing, you're saying things and doing things you shouldn't do. Sin will lead you farther you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay. Cost you more than you want to pay. That's what sin will do to you. Oh, it's just a little wine. It's just a little drink. It's just a little sin. Next thing you know, your whole testimony and the testimony of your church and most importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ is ruined. Ruined. And that be the, might be the very person I've been trying to get to come to church for two years. Sin hurts, not just yourself. The, the lie of the devil is you can do it and nobody else will bother anybody. People will say, well, I can do this. I'll go out there and do something. And nobody else will be affected. No, everything you do affects everybody around you. You cannot sin in a vacuum. This sin that Noah committed affected Shem, Ham, and Japheth. How do I know that? We're talking about today. That was thousand years ago. And we're still talking about the sin of Noah, who knew better. 
who knew the effects of drunkenness and drinking the wine and how it destroyed his life and nakedness. He knew it was wrong. He was a preacher of righteousness. He knew better. That's the problem. It's not that we don't know better. It's we don't do better. Everybody in this room knows we shouldn't lie. But do you struggle with lying? Do you? Everybody in this room knows it's wrong to steal. We say, well, if I take something, I'll borrow it. I'll borrow it. How long are you going to borrow that thing? 50 years? No, friend. If you take something that's not yours, it's stealing. You're a thief. Lying is wrong. Stealing is wrong. There's something called the Ten Commandments. It'd be good if our society got back to that. It was a sad day in America when they started taking down the Ten Commandments in classrooms and schoolrooms. Because in the United States of America, we need it. From the White House to the church house, from the church house to the White House. Fifth, sin never affects the sinner alone. Six, number six marks this one well. Believers never have an excuse for sin. We never have an excuse. Well, if, if, if I heard this a million times. Oh, preacher, if you was in my shoes, if you only knew what I was going through. Does it say that? Does it say thou shalt not lie, but if you're in my situation, go ahead and lie. Thou shalt not steal. But you know what? If you're really desperate, just go down to the grocery store and fill it up and run out the run out the front door as fast as you can. Tell those folks in California they haven't figured it out. Man, no, dear friend, you never have an excuse. It's never right to do wrong to have an opportunity to do right. Oh, I'll just make an excuse. It's just this one time. No, what's the Bible say? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There is no temptation you've taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Every time you sin, listen to me, listen to me, stay awake. We still got a little bit of time. Every time that you sin, nobody made you do it. You chose it. It's not your circumstances. It's not your daddy's fault. It's not your mama's fault. It's not your friend's fault. It's not your dog's fault. It's nobody's fault but yours and mine. We choose to sin. Don't blame it on other people. Don't say, well, I'm in a pinch. Who put yourself in a pinch? How'd you get in pinch? How'd you get to the pinch? Well, this, this, this. Yeah, you, there were steps down that pinch road, wasn't there? You went down a path, and every time there's a choice, there's a choice to do right or there's a choice to do wrong. In 50 years of living, no one's ever made me sin. I've always chosen. Tempted, sure. Struggle, yeah. But every time I've sinned, I've chosen. We can say no to sin. The word no is God's escape. I'm not going to do it. Oh, preacher. I, if I didn't do it, they wouldn't like me no more. What are you, five? Are you like 12? That's what they talk about in kindergarten and grade school. Oh, so-and-so won't like me no more. They won't be friends with me no more if I don't do what they want me to do. What? Man, dear friend, remember, you and God make up the majority. Who cares what they say? Who cares what they do? If everybody forsakes you, do right till the stars fall out. Just choose it. If they dislike you, if they disown you, and if they treat you like that, they're not really your friends anyway. What type of friends would you have? 
want to have that says, if you don't do this wrong with me, I won't be your friend anymore. Man, you, better, you need to find some better friends. You need to find some whole lot of better friends. Number seven, number seven, God never ignores sin. You know, God, you know, preacher, God was just weak at it. He was just weak at it. <laughs> no, he's not weakened at it. Sin brings loss of fellowship with those around you. God, sin brings guilt. Sin brings regret. Brings loss of joy, loss of peace. There's always, 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 always consequence to sin. Do not think I can sin and just get away with it and God doesn't care. God doesn't see. Yes, he does. That's why he tells us so often in the scripture not to sin. That's why he warns us. That's why he gives us beautiful pictures as painful as they are to look at by this godly man, Noah, in this situation who's been, who had such integrity and did right for so many years. God paints, portrays a, a, a beautiful but yet difficult picture of a man who chose to sin after living righteous for so many years. Dear friend, don't forget, all of us still have a sin nature. All of us have a sin nature. We love to say in verse 9, if we, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that. But verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. You say, preacher, I don't struggle with sin. No, the Bible says you're a liar. You're a liar and his word is not in you because we all struggle with sin. And if you're honest, if you're humble, and you're mature, you recognize that you struggle with sin. You say, preacher, is there anything positive? <laughs> is there anything positive from this when we sin? What, what, is the, what is the positive lessons from, from, the, from this situation? Well, first of all, sin helps us to realize our sin nature can be used by God to develop our appreciation for our position in Christ. Remember, Romans chapter 7 and Paul in his honest, honest confession. He says in chapter 7 verse 15, For that which I do I allow not, for what I would that I do not, but what I hate that I do. Verse 16, If then I do that which I would not, I consent in the law that it is good. We see by one, probably one of the godliest men who wrote much of the New Testament, the struggle of sin. What does sin do? If it does, if it have any positive, it helps us appreciate our position in Jesus Christ. What is he saying? It says in verse 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall be delivered me from the body of this death? He was struggling with his sin nature. He was wrestling with his sin. He was fighting with sin. I read the body of death referring to a Roman custom. A man who had committed murder was taken to the cross. Before he was put on the cross, if the murdered victim was a slave or someone of ill repute, perhaps not a Roman citizen, the dead body would be laid on top of the murderer and strapped to him neck to neck, wrist to wrist, waist to waist, leg to leg, and then put on the cross. That is referred to as the body of death. The murderer would die a hideous death with his victims cheek to cheek. Wow, what a hideous way to die with a person who took their life literally right on them. What is Paul saying? He's saying, will you set me free from this wicked old man, this old nature that is strapped to me? I can't get away from it. I can't flee it. 
I can't escape it. But thank God we see Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. What does, what does sin do? It helps us be grateful for our position in Jesus Christ. That we, dear friend, do not have to be enslaved to sin. That because of the cross and Jesus Christ dying for our sins, paying for our sins with his precious blood, we're free. We don't have to sin. We're not enslaved to sin. The only time we, we wrestle with sin is when we choose it. When we choose it. Second lesson is the awareness of our sin nature can be used by God. Not only to develop our appreciation for our position in Christ, but develop our gratitude for Christ's work in us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I love to see a person who just gets saved. <laughs> the zeal, the hunger, the thirst. And they don't, <laughs> they don't know what to wear. They don't know how to dress. They don't know the King James from the James King. <laughs> they don't know NIV, ESV, ABC, CDE, AMG. They don't know anything. They don't know Genesis 1, <laughs> Exodus 2. They don't know anything. They come in uncouth, unkept. But they have something. They have a, they have a smile on their face because they've been delivered. They've been delivered. They have newness of life. Oh, it's like, a, it's like seeing that new couple who just got engaged and they're going on their honeymoon. They smile. You can't wipe a smile off their face. You try to, it goes back on. Some of you folks need to hang around those folks a little bit more. <laughs> Get that glow back that you used to have. The thrill is gone. What happened to the thrill? Sin. Why, why is the thrill not anymore? Sin. <laughs> That's why the thrill is gone, friend, sin. But when you get really right with God, the smile will come back. There'll be joy in your heart. You'll laugh. You'll sing. You'll rejoice. But when you, when you struggle with sin, you mope around. Your head's low. You don't want to talk to anybody. Somebody says, good morning. What do you mean, good morning? How do you do? Well, how do you do? How's your day? Partly cloudy, partly going to rain. What type of Christian are you? Man, what happened to, there's joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Christians ought to be the most joyful people in the world. We've been forgiven. We have a home in heaven. Woo! Jesus is preparing a place for me called a mansion. Woo! You ought to be thankful and praise God. Shout a little bit. Get your hanky up, ladies, and wave it a little bit. Somebody wrap around and say amen. Somebody, amen. Dear friend, when I see a Christian that's all depressed, I mean, we all go through difficult times. We all go through the valley of the shadow of death, but you shouldn't stay there. Man, some of you have been in the shadow of death for 45 years. You ain't figured out where it's at. You got to get out. Get out. Get out. There's joy on the other side of the valley, brother. Trust me, there's joy. Joy, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I love to see a Christian person just get saved. God starts working in their heart. God starts talking to them through the word and through the spirit. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident this very thing that he which began a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. 
God continues to work. We grow in our relationship with God. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. Yes, we have a sin nature. Yes, we struggle with sin. But dear friend, we don't have to stay down. You see, friend, it's not how many times you fall down. It's how many more times you choose to get up. You choose to get up. Many years ago, when I was in Bible college, this old preacher would come. He was a godly man. I was a student just trying to survive Bible college, just trying to make it one day at a time, sweet Jesus. He'd get up and he'd thunder, man. I would just weep and cry because God had used him, blessed him. Had a wonderful church, Christian school, Christian college. He got up in years, 60s, 70s, I believe. Started getting to the place where he couldn't sleep at night. Went to his doc and doc said to him, well, just take a little drink. Just a little bit. Just a little pinch, just a little half shot glass. That'll help you sleep at night. He did. He was okay for a little while, a little while, a little while after a while. That little bit wasn't enough. Had to take more and more and more and more and more and more. Next thing you know, he's out in public inubilated, drunk, lost his church, lost his testimony, heard the cause of Christ. And dear friend, it can happen to that godly man. It can happen to me. It can happen to you. Thank God he didn't stay down. He repented of his sins. He got right with his people. He took a time of Talking about time away from ministry, but after a while, God used him in his later, in the end of his life to go out and encourage ministry, missionaries, and for them to live, live for God and, and to do right. I thank God at the end of all this, if you, if you look at the end of this, the Bible says about, about Noah in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, he became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith, even after it all. Did he, did, he, did he make some bad decisions? No, he sinned. He sinned. But he's still an heir of righteousness. And in heaven, you and I will meet Noah. We'll meet Noah. May God help us, each one of us, to remember the dangers of sin. Father, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Oh, God, help us. We've been reminded, we've been reminded from the word of God of this godly man, a preacher of righteousness who preached so faithfully, who had such integrity in such a wicked, wicked world. But in the, towards the end of his life, he failed and failed miserably. And now we read about it tonight. It's a warning. It's a real warning for all of us because all of us in this room can fail. One bad decision, one bad day, one moment. And we find ourselves doing things we shouldn't be doing with people we shouldn't be doing them with. Oh, God, help us. Thank you, God, that you love us and that you do not want us to fail, that there is a way of escape. Thank you that you do not tempt us above, above what we can bear. Maybe there's someone in this room that say, Preacher, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. I'm, I'm struggling all the time. Maybe it's simple the reason why you struggle so much is simply you don't know Christ. See, friend, you don't have the... You don't have the power to be victorious in the Christian life if you're not a Christian. Are you sure today if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? Do you know that you know? 
Jesus Christ is your Savior? Are you 100% sure if you die, you'd go to heaven? You say, preacher, I'm not sure, but I'd like to be sure. Oh, dear friend, I promise you, God wants you to know. God wants you to know that the, the seriousness of sin, that sin will cause you to go to a devil's hell. It will separate you from God forever. The wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God. The wages of sin, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ has made a way to salvation by dying on the cross, shedding his blood, making a payment for your sin. You don't have to earn it. It's paid for. It's paid for. I said, preacher, I don't know if I were to die to go to heaven, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? Anybody here at all? I know it's a Sunday night, but I don't want to, I don't want to assume. I don't want to assume anybody in this room said, preacher, I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die, I'm not sure if I'd go to heaven. Could you pray for me? Anybody at all? Christian? How about you tonight? Preacher, I'm struggling. One of the things you mentioned tonight, one of the seven things you mentioned, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with temptation. I'm, in, I'm, <laughs> I'm caught up in something. Maybe it's a lifestyle, a lifestyle of lying, a lifestyle of leading, a lifestyle of, of, of being mischievous, a lifestyle of doing things that you know the Bible clearly says you should not be involved in. Preacher, I'm struggling in my Christian life. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest? Amen. We got one. Anybody else? I'm, amen. I'm struggling. Anybody else? I'm struggling tonight, preacher. I'll be honest with you. Dear friend, the only way you're going to get victory is to be honest, to hide it. Yeah. You cover your sin. The Bible says you will not prosper. You will not prosper. He'll give grace to the humble. Who's the humble? You confess your sin. You're honest about it. You admit you struggle with it. We all struggle. Preacher, I'm struggling tonight. Would you pray for me? Anybody else? Anybody be else? Anybody else? Let's stand to our feet as the piano plays. God's spoken to your heart. Is there an area of your life where you struggle? Pride keeps you from admitting your struggle. Humility says, I admit it. Pride will destroy you. It will destroy every good thing about you. It will ruin your life. Be humble. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, preacher, I'm struggling. I'm here. Brother Clayton's here. My wife's here. I'm struggling. Would you help me? Would you help me? Would you come tonight and do business with God? Would you come?